Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws, well, they both look pretty badass and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at assaultlimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3EQUIP.com. A3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion, a lip balm, a hair conditioner, honestly, anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3equip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about get squared away spiritual get squared away emotional get squared away mental Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. We are back with the sausage party take two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, say that enough, that theme's gonna stick. Yeah, right. Well, it's kind of what name. it's kind of what it is. I know oh. we got we got to get some some other aspects. We got to brainstorm some some ideas and some some thought processes and some some topics that would benefit from the female perspective <laughs> and the only input we have is a sausage party yeah all right what what's going on man what anything new this week nothing new just uh still following the supply chain which looks like a complete shit show but i believe you know. it uh, is uh is stuff like is stuff getting caught up with at the at, at the ports now we're just getting backed up um elsewhere or is it still just a huge backup at the ports uh it's a variety it's a lot of things i mean you're talking issues with getting trucks there according to that on time uh, getting getting enough labor down at the ports to get these containers cleared up so dwell times are still the same uh container prices are starting to see a little bit of a break um i don't know why i can't explain that at this point so um by a little bit of a break it's still high yeah, you're but, not talking I mean, triple the cost, but you're finding some that are double the cost, and everybody's in line, just you know, picking those up as quick as they can. Yep, and that's tough too, because especially with like larger equipment, I mean, you're not getting a ten thousand items or twenty thousand items on a container where you can split the cost up. You know, you're getting I don't know, just a guess, but probably only like a hundred different units 
on a container yeah, of, we, a big, of a large item. Yeah, we try to get our own or what they, they call a premium. Um, but yeah, some people try to do a mixed container, but a lot of those are, they fill up and then they cancel on you. So they cancel? So, what yeah. causes them to cancel? They run out of space. <clears throat> I've, I've had uh, probably half of them canceled on me in the last two weeks. No shit. Yeah. So you commit to them and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're out of, uh, you know, material, they call it just out of container. And then uh, boom, you're back to square one. That's bullshit because you're committing and they're not committing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the conundrum we're dealing with right now is that, you know, hey, we're kind of at their mercy. I'm like, I, I'm demanding for pricing. I'm demanding daily updates and they just kind of give you what they want. And that that's that's kind of like our labor market right now, too. Right. Like you can basically do whatever you want. You're not going to get fired. Yeah. Like, I mean, other than extremisms, you know, theft and and whatever else. But, you know, we were talking the other day with somebody and and uh, a post office worker um, in, a, in a rural area gets paid by the amount of stops they make. And one of the bosses was with uh, must have been a fill in. And he was like, oh, well, there's supposed to be a, a post office, you know, a, a post office box or whatever mailbox right here. And the guy's yeah. like, oh, yeah, there's not even like there's nothing here. And he's like, well, wait, there's nothing here. Like we're paying by this number. And, and they, they figure out that there's like 30 different stops on this mail route that are just they're just fire numbers. They're not post office boxes. They're just like people, people own land and there's a fire yeah. number there, but it's not an actual address. Nobody lives there. There's no mail going there. But this postal worker has, has filed that there's a mailbox there. So they get paid for 30 extra stops <laughs> that they're not doing. And the boss looks at the uh. the boss looks at the fill in worker and he goes, yeah, normally, I mean, that would be grounds for immediately immediate dismissal. But I don't even know if they'll get written up right now because we're so short on help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard I had a buddy that works for a. Uh, U.S. Post Office and just some of the shenanigans that, you know, these people can, you know, rig the way they uh, do their job during the day and work part of a day and get paid the whole day. So just and I, I, I love some of the stories you hear, like the people that, you know, what was it? The one guy he got busted with like an entire garage full of junk mail. Like he didn't deliver any junk mail, which, mind you, from from the outside point of view, yeah. I almost see him as a hero. Right. <laughs> but but why? He was just because it, it, it would cut his route down. So he didn't deliver any junk mail. He would separate out all the junk mail because I think a lot in a lot of the smaller towns, they separate all their own mail. Yeah. And so he would separate all, all the junk mail before he ever even left the, you know, the post office. Oh, and it would so just be in, it would just stop. be in a box. So he wouldn't have mm. to actually stop. And before he, you know, before he went back to the office, he would drop it off at his house. And then it just built up and built up and built up. <laughs> and they busted him with like an entire two car garage full of everybody's junk mail for the last how many years? Wow. And he ended up getting like it was a pretty big deal. Wow. I think he ended up getting like, you know, criminally fined. charged. Oh, really? And and fined. And um, fired probably. Oh, I'm sure fired because this is this has been wow. a few years ago that I heard about this. But yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. And I mean, part of it is like the union, right? Post office union. Like I know we talked about before, you hear some of the stories of the old school like crazy unions in, in Detroit and and I hate to say it, but that probably had a big effect on the American car industry and what happened to it oh, in the eighties yeah. and nineties and early two thousands. They're trying to make a comeback now, but how oh, they got to use a lot of that money? That markup has got to go to retirement funds. So yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's tough. I mean, you got one guy, you know, two guys doing the job of one guy, and you got to pay them. And then yeah. tell me, tell me why manufacturing is is elsewhere? Yeah, that's that's too bad. But I mean, I and I don't know, but is our local, you know, is people like Tesla, are they still dealing with um, supply chain issues? Because like 
I guess GM and Ford and stuff like that, it's all chips, right? And I'm sure Tesla yeah. uses the same chips, but chips and they're starting to get material. Starting to have you're material starting issues to see too. A shortage of material because with you know, it, it's a chain reaction. So when you're starting to lose these containers or they get canceled, a lot of raw materials aren't making it over. Um, I know coming out of the print industry, one of the big shortages right now is uh, paper and paper materials. So a lot of the mills shut down in the U.S. and a lot of them are done in Germany and Japan and Austria because obviously because of regulations here. Is that, and is that what it caused? It was regulations? Yeah. Probably a little bit to do with labor prices too, but I'm guessing that a big, big paper is probably not super labor intensive. It's probably very mechanical. Right? Yeah, most of it's mechanical. Yeah, but up in the, like even the Fox Valley, there were so many uh, mills that you know were employing hundreds of people. And yeah, hundreds of thousands, and uh, yeah, it's uh, with the regulations with the new inks that are coming out. A lot of the inks now are coming from Israel and you know Japan and Germany, and there's hardly anything that's made here because it won't stick on the paper, and now you got to make the paper to stick or be adherable going through these digital uh, machines and you can't do that in the u.s so can't do it in the u.s just because it's too regulations regulatory some of the chemicals they use to go into the paper can't be used in the u.s but Which you can is, buy it here so that's that's the dumbest thing like we talked about in last week's podcast yeah. like you can buy that product here we just can't make it here what the fuck yeah, you shut can, up you can't use that coating that's the dumbest thing ever yeah because so, you're not reducing, you're actually increasing the wear on the planet because it's being produced somewhere else and then being shipped here where it could be produced here. You're creating the same amount of of, of weight of not waste, yeah. but damage. Right. Like, let's say that that chemical that you use have has a, you know, a five, a number five worth of damage, whatever number, just right. just to just enumerate the, the damage. Right. So it's a number. It's a number five. It's a little bit of damage. It's not 100. It's a five by using this. Well, if we're going to use 20 reams of this specific paper we would make it here that would be five times 20 there'd be 100 units of damage towards the united states right if we made it here but instead we're going to use 100 units worth of damage made somewhere else and then ship it here which probably creates another 100 uses worth of damage yeah and pay a premium for it yes but you know i mean it's a huge lead into what we're talking about today you know that's kind of the part of the left that is so environmental and green friendly. But, you know, the thing is, most of the, the issues are stemming from overseas between the pollution, the green, the regulations, the chemicals that are using for all kinds of products, not just paper. But they look at it as, oh, well, if it doesn't happen here, then, you know, out of sight, out of mind. But we're still going to have our, you know, activists and protests and we're going to trash everything here just so that we can be green. We're going to we're going to tweet about pollution from an iPhone. Yeah, exactly. That was made for $2 out of a styrofoam Starbucks cup, $2 an hour labor. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this week's podcast sort of stemmed from a, a Prager you um, video that Martin sent me and, and was it Dan Prager? Is that his name? Yeah. Dan Prager. And he was a Senator Congressman. I'm uh, not. I don't remember what he was, but basically, yeah, was, yeah. yeah, me neither. But and basically, he he created this online, you know, we'll call it quote unquote university because it's an educational website and they create educational content. But I don't. It's not necessarily really like an accredited university, so they call yeah. it PragerU. But basically, it's just an online content creation to to educate the masses, yeah. and it's it's right leaning, conservative leaning. Um, and this video basically. It points out, and I will link the video. Um, I did do it last week. I said I was going to, and I did. So getting better at that. Um, 
but I'll link the video so that you guys can watch it. And it's and it's an interesting video. What the video starts out is it talks about the difference between the left and the right and how the left focuses on large scale social responsibility. And this is a generalization. So don't like say, well, I'm not like that. Right. Because this is a generalization, but it focuses on large scale social change over the small scale independent internal change. Whereas the right focuses on the independent internal change over the large scale social change. And we were having a conversation before we started and we can kind of just pick up with this conversation where you kind of have to have the small scale independent internal to then drive towards the large scale, right? Like, because the large scale, if you're talking about society, what is society made up of? Society is made up of individuals. Right. And if you want individuals to change, which would then make the society change, you have to focus on the small individual changes by skipping completely over that, we end up with the um, the hypocritical point of view, right? Like do as I say, not as I do, which is very much a, a generalized l- problem with the left is is the do as I say, not as I do. And, and right. especially the elite, right? The Because there's, there's elites, there's de- detached elites on the right and the left. There is 100%. The, deta- the difference is, is the detached elites on the right are saying we need people to take better care of themselves. We need, you know, they, they're saying all this shit. Even if they're not doing it, they're saying you need to do better for yourself. Right. It starts it, with you. And it starts Bottom with you. Line, yeah. And while that's still hypocritical because they are not taking better care of themselves, they are not necessarily damaging the movement. Whereas on the left, they're saying everyone needs to do better and they're not doing better. And by them not doing better, then you get this this hypocritical where you you can look and say, well, you're not doing better. No one else is going to do better. And that's kind of the weird connection. I realize that that doesn't necessarily make sense what I just said after I got it out there, but it makes sense in my head. Yeah. I mean, you know, as an independent. You know, I'm politically independent. And when I talk to people on the left, I talk to people on the right and they'll come up and they'll ask me about different things. And I was in a conversation last night. A lot of people will come up to me and ask about, you know, freaking COVID. And it seems like we talk about it every every podcast. I mean, but it's on the news. I looked at watched the local news last night. It was on too. But, you know, the people that come at me from the left, um, I get a lot of comments that, you know, either I get directed or, you know, other people hear from the left is that they just rely on, well, okay, if the doctor tells me something, well, they're getting paid, you know, professionally to tell me that and they're educated as a doctor. So whatever they say is gospel to my health or the government, well, the government, they're getting paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to rule over us. So whatever they say is gospel. So, and that just seems to be the majority of the thinking that, over the last two years, you know, in conversations and arguments, that's what they say. That's their bottom line argument where uh, people that come from the right, you know, whether or not they're good examples, you know, a lot of their thinking is through multiple sources of research. It's not just, you know, well, I'm just being told this and I'm just going to go along with it. It's the it's the internal locus of control versus the external locus of control, right? Yeah. So if I'm told something, well, okay, well, I need to really think about that. 
Whereas whatever the, you know, the left is being told, well, I saw it on CNN. It's just parroting whatever they heard that day on the news. And, and there's a, there's a lot to be said for the contrarian thought process. Like I, I'm definitely a contrarian. If I hear something, it doesn't matter whether it's from the right or from the left or from CNN or Fox news. My initial thought is like to debunk it. Right. So I was just I was doing a bunch of research on masks the other day because we're still on a mask mandate here in Dane County. And I know there's some big cities that are still on a mask mandate. And I I remember reading um, somebody tweeted or posted or I don't remember what the fuck it was. And they were like, you know, fully vaxxed. We wear masks because we trust science. Right. And I'm like, well, hold on. What what science are you trusting? Right. Because. I started thinking about it and I started really digging into the the PubMed research on masks. And so if you guys have never been on PubMed, basically PubMed is initial publications of scientific studies yeah. and then there's on yesterday. and then there's meta analyses. <laughs> and a meta analysis is where it would take it would it would it would scour PubMed. So if somebody wanted to write a meta analysis, they would scour PubMed for every single article, every single study that had to do with masks. And then they would take the ones that fit their criteria and then they would put all those numbers together and try to basically create a painting from a bunch of different works of art is kind of what that idea is. And when you start to look at the meta analysis of masks, It really a lot of the issue here is if you quote unquote trust the science, you're looking at the studies that do not differentiate between N95s, surgical masks and homemade cloth masks. They they put them all together and they say that masks will reduce a, you know, um, in a family masks will reduce the, you know, contraction in a household by 70 percent. And that's that was one of the things that that I read. But then you get into it and on all of the studies that separate it, medical N95 masks reduce the chance of contracting by 70 percent. Other masks basically have a negligible negligible change that is not within a what do they call it? You know, the, the amount of change that you consider promoting right and so the theory kind of breaks down when you get into well should we be wearing masks well we should either not be wearing masks or we should all be wearing n95s right i mean if you're going to put out a mandate then you have you have to have specifications right behind that but they haven't since day one no and that's that's the that's where it becomes weird and then also especially when we get to like vaccination and mask wearing what what is the goal? What is our goal? Right? Because is our goal to get through COVID? Because that's not, that's not a thing. That's not happening. This is never going away. You're not just going to, you're not just going to, to get, you know, Oh, after the fifth booster, everybody is, it's, it's going to go away. So the idea is to slow down the infection rate to not overwhelm the hospital? Is that the idea? Or is the idea to get to a certain point to where treatments are, you know, completely approachable and approved and and people aren't ending up on respirators? Because if that's the goal, then along with masks, we need to start talking about personal health. Right. right? Which is never brought up. Never brought up. We've been arguing that from day one, yeah. So by, by completely ignoring the personal health, 
you then make me not take you seriously about the rest. And that's the issue that I have as a contrarian with all of this. And I have it with fiscal issues. I have it with a lot of governmental issues is by only preaching one specific thing and not looking at it, not looking at whatever problem you're trying to fix from a holistic approach. I'm pretty sure Elon Musk the other day, because he's I I don't if I said this already, guys, I'm sorry. If you made ten thousand dollars a day every day and you started working when the pyramids were built and you lived until today you still would not have as much money as elon musk that's where we're at that's how much money this fucking dude has (laughs) yeah okay he said he i don't know if it was if it was towards um one of the you know world organizations i don't even know who it was to but he said bring me a plan to stamp out world hunger and i'll pay for it oh yeah, that, that was in response to a tweet. Yeah. So somebody had tweeted that, uh, yeah, if uh, um, Elon Musk and I believe uh, one other person that would pool their money together, they could uh, take out world hunger. Yeah. And then Elon Musk basically, based on that figure, okay, put a plan together and I'll do it. And I'll fund it. I'll, I'll sell some of my stocks and I'll fund it. But it's, it's a thing, Crickets. you know, we're, we're, ta- we're talking about the left. Yeah. Every time I, I get into a discussion or debate with the left, yeah, it, it never go, goes well for them because they never have any plans. There's no strategy. There's no facts. There's no data. You know, honestly, being in operations on high levels for so long, I've never seen somebody with a leftist mentality in that role. You know, so to me, it's like you have all these leftists that have all these hard opinions they want to scream at everybody about. But to me, it's like listening to, you know, comparable to going to a doctor. I go to a doctor and he's 90 pounds overweight, smoker, and hacking up a lung. And he's going to tell me that, oh, well, I shouldn't be deadlifting or squatting or, well, you shouldn't eat like this or you need to eat more grains and stuff. Yeah, I'm not going to listen to that guy. And same thing with, with the leftists. If you're screaming that and guess what? You're, the best thing that you can do is go to your job, hate it, complain about your employer, and then go home and complain why you don't have any money because it's what everyone else's fault or it's the rich that's holding you down or it's the man, then you know what? <clears throat> Your arguments probably aren't going to be very solid. So, yeah. And that, and that's, I think we mentioned it in last or two, maybe two podcasts ago. It's, it's your, you get angry when your beliefs don't have any validity because anger is the only thing that you have to fall back on. Whereas if they have validity and you've thought through them and have, up upholding information, right? You they have a structure to them and you're able to explain the structure and explain why yeah. you believe what you believe, then the anger is never usually a, a problem. Yeah. And I, I think mean, that happens on the right and the left, especially with the, you know, like you like you said, the the people that put on all these big governmental fundraisers and they're preaching for everything, you know, the, the conservatism that the right has, but then you look at their life and it's just a fucking wreck. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and mind you, yeah, I don't want to be sitting there and bashing the left because I've worked for some medium, uh, you know, business owners and these owners were staunch, you know, conservatives. They put on the, the parties for the, you know, our last governor who was Republican and that's what they talk about every day. And that's what they, oh, everybody should be like this, you know, a patriot like I am. And I was in the Coast Guard and yada, 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 yada. But then you look at their life. It's like, well, they're over materialistic. 
and they're lazy, out of shape, and they just expect everyone to do the work to basically, you know, provide their little piggy bank that he can just kind of pull out of whenever he wants. Yeah. And yeah, so it goes both ways. They're, they're, they're you know, basically shitheads on both sides. Yeah. So. And that's, and that's the weird, um, that's the weird thing that, that it breaks down to is like, the the well-balanced intelligent personally responsible individual rarely gets to that extremely successful place where other people look to them for knowledge and education and all of the things that that you look to you know and i'm not saying that you or i do but a, a large portion of our population looks to you know the the social media you know million follower person that's telling you all this shit or the crazy jacked physical trainer that clearly injects steroids multiple times a week but is going to (laughs) tell you how to eat or the business owner who probably fucked over a ton of different people or got their business handed to them or and there, I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't these successful, self-built, well-rounded, but they rarely get to that point, right? Right. They rarely get to that amazing, you know, overarching amount of success to where people look at them like, oh, yeah. No, it's you know, I guess the best comparison for what we are talking about is you know, I, I look at the military community. Especially, I mean, in, in, the, in the soft world is basically, you know, these are our guys. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be whatever. I mean, yeah. the gender I'm used to are, are the dudes are well-trained. Yep. And it's no different than I'm going to use the, you know, fl- the pre-flight, you know, airplane speech example too. You know, these guys train every day to protect the person on the left and protect the person on the right. So they are training so that they have muscle memory. They're training so that they are healthy. They're training so that they can be fast and they can be, you know, use their techniques so that they're protecting everyone else. And, you know, it's comparable to, let's say, in the civilian world where before you get on a plane and the stewardess gets up and or steward or whatever you want to call it, gets up and tells you that, okay, the oxygen mask is going to fall out of the ceiling. And for you to help any, before you help anyone else, you need to put it on yourself and make sure, you know, everything's working. And then you go to everyone else and put their oxygen mask on too. So that type of mentality is where it talks about, it starts with you. That individual needs to be squared away before you start trying to square away other people, the world, and all these other little, you know, the Greenpeace crap, you know, things that are going on. So you know, that's that's where people need to start getting mentality, whether you're left or right, no matter what, you got to square yourself away, period. And if the leftists would apply that concept, guess what? I think you'd be able to cross over and have bipartisan solutions for a lot of the problems we have in the world today instead of this fighting and screaming at each other. Well, and I think um, before we get deeper into what you're talking about, I think um, one of the big things you are 100 percent right on is making sure that everyone has their values figured out right because like on the right ish the patriot class is what i like to call us right we're the patriot class we see america as 
the most beautiful, amazing country that has ever been around because of the freedoms and because of the possibilities, you know, for you to rise from nothing to something is not easy, but it's easier here than anywhere else in the world without crime, basically. Right. Um, If you want to, if you want to talk about it like that, but we do see the flaws and we do see that there are things that, that can be improved, but we want the base with improvement. Whereas the left sees America as a problem and they, and they feel like it needs radical change because maybe we're realistic and we see, all right, we have a good thing. Let's build on it. And they see ideal an, an, an ideal society and are just striving for this ideal society. Is that where, is that where the idea of like communism and Marx and Marxism is so attractive to the left because they're idealists, not realists. Yeah. In a way, um, I, I put a post out yesterday and it talks about, you can't talk about the ocean to a well frog and almost all the leftists I run into, I'm sorry, have a well frog mentality. You know, they have not been through hardship. So there's a difference between what you're talking about is, yeah, is a hundred percent on point. If everybody aligned themselves on the value path, your base of all your values. I mean, we all have values, right? I mean, most of us believe murder is wrong. We have all these values. Well, these leftists, you know, I hate to keep using the word leftist, but it just seems to be where it fits is they're more concerned about being virtuous. And I don't know if you remember what George Carlin said about, you know, virtuosity, right? I don't remember if I, oh, I don't know if I remember that one. That's in one of my, uh, my saved, uh, images here, but George Carlin, oh, I mean, what he used was the obedient always thinks of themselves as virtuous rather than cowardly, you know, and, uh, that's the issue with uh, a lot of leftists I see is they, they go behind the base values and they just pick like one or two specific, you know, tunnel items. And that's how they base their being virtuous on, but they're not going to do it themselves. They never will. You know, they always have to be in a mob or in a group and it just, you know, it's, it's different. It just, it doesn't fit. When I think, and, and so this is where, this is where I start getting deeper, way deeper into my notes because, um, I think where this video, this PragerU video does miss is the next step after getting your own house in order. And I think the next step after getting your own house in order is focusing on the large scale social change to try to to try to push people to get their own house in order, not to try to push them to do what you want them to do, but to try to push them to make sure that they are then being personally responsible. So I started yeah. getting deeper into um, societal change, basically, and especially focusing on minorities uh, influencing a majority of social change, right? Because th- that whether you're talking, um, you know, sports or, or 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 any societal change, like let's use all right, let's use the 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 uh, the Black Lives Matter movement at its core, not necessarily the organization because right. the organization has its flaws, but the movement as at, at its core. And that was a, that was a minority of people that saw a, something that they were concerned about. They believe that it needed to change. And then they then over the last, you know, three, four years 
influenced um, large scale social thought process? Is it changed? Um, was there actually a problem that is for a totally new conversation, but just to look at, at the social change. And, um, one of these, one of the social psychologists that I, that I kind of started following and researching, um, breaks it down to six steps. And the six steps are drawing attention, cognitive conflict, consistency, augmentation, snowball effect, and then social cryptosomnia. And really the only ones that you, you can focus on here are like one, two, three, and then four, five, six kind of then take care of themselves. But we'll use we'll use the Black Lives Matter kind of movement over the last three years as or four or five years, however long it's been, um, as, as a as a framework to build this. So the drawing attention is some some sort of an event, some sort of an organization, something that causes a large draw of attention for people to even see that you have that you think that there's a problem and what what one of the biggest things here was was Colin Kaepernick's kneeling right and whether whether you agree with it or not I totally see the issues with it and I see why um so many patriots had a problem with it because he was he was he was trying to make a point he was making a point that we have a problem we need we need to look at police violence the problem was is the problem isn't with the United States it's not it's not the United States as a whole that is the problem. And that's he put he demonized he demonized the US or demonized all police. And that, that's an issue. But whether you agree with it or not, that caused us that caused a big fucking national attention draw, right? Yeah. That was huge. I mean, it went from him and there was a it was a special forces guy that that worked with him to come up with that idea. I don't remember the guy's name, but yeah. It, it was a guy that helped that helped him, you know, develop that as, as a huge attention draw. Right. And it went from him one game taking a knee to eventually like every team almost doing it. And so that drew attention. Agree with it or not. Drew attention. Yeah. Cognitive conflict is the next step. So what is the conflict that you have as the minority um, that is not necessarily in argument, but isn't necessarily in the thought process of the majority? And in this case, it was police brutality against blacks specifically. Now, is that a problem or is police brutality a problem at all? Is is it a problem only against one race? Like I said, totally different topic. We're just talking right. about influencing social change here. And then another one would be the storming of the Capitol, right? You remember when that happened, the, the storming of the Capitol, like that was a big national attention drop. Yeah. Now, this is where they fucked up. They had zero consistency. They had no consistency in messaging. They had no consistency in time. They had no relentless attitude towards change, whereas the Black Lives Matter movement has maintained that consistency, that consistency in messaging and that consistency in time. That's been years that we've been going through yeah. this. Whereas the group that stormed the Capitol completely failed on any sort of organizing. They organized to be there that day and to do what they did to try to prove a point. But there was no organization past that and there was no organized message. There was no branding. There was nothing. Yeah. Which... The video footage that I've seen 
and the way that they held security detail at the Capitol um, tells me that it was not an organized event by the group that they said perpetrated. It seems like it was a uh, staged. You think so? Yeah. I mean, if, if I was if I was an actual organization and I was trying to organize an event like that, I can tell you I wouldn't fucking I wouldn't put that many people in that type of a scenario without having the next steps figured out without having a universal message. I mean, that was the the one percent or the ninety nine percent or whatever they called themselves. Remember that they were the camping everywhere. No, no, not the three percenters. No. I like the oh. idea of the three percenters, but they've gotten kind of stigmatized as fucking preppers, basically. Yeah. Um, no, 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 the the 99%, right? Remember, they were they camped oh. out everywhere and they were <clears throat> in business parking lots. And it was basically this big, there was no- That's con- a leftist uh, but there was organization. No con- there was no consistency in messaging. I mean, they were on Wall Street, right? Like they were, they had, a, they had the national news media at their feet, basically just interviewing anyone that would talk to them. Yeah. And they had no universal message they had nothing, no steps for growth, no improvements, no suggestions. It was just, we don't have no money. I'm here because other people have more money than me. It was just something to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, so there, the consistency is, is where a lot of movement falls on its face. Yeah. And then the augmentation principle is, this is where commitment comes in and if you look at the Colin Kaepernick or the storming of the Capitol, like there was a commitment there. There was, I mean, he, he's never been signed again. Now, whether that's because he's not that great of a football player or because he's something that's too hot to touch. He's not that good. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, either way, he sacrificed his career by doing that. And that's by showing sacrifice at any point, you become more believable by the majority when the minority is willing to sacrifice. It's also the same thing as, as peaceful protesters during the, um, you know, the sixties that would get the shit beat out of them, right? Like you were, that's a big, that's a huge sacrifice and it happened over and over and over. And it, it showed the commitment to the movement. And then by, by showing the commitment to the movement, the majority takes the minority much more seriously. I hate the Kaepernick example, by the way. I know you do. I did. I did. I don't like it either, but it follows the steps and it's the easiest. Surface follows the steps. Yeah. I'm not saying that it works. I'm saying (laughs) that gives me an example to use towards the steps. Yeah. Because his issue versus like a Martin Luther King, his issue is that it's personal. But does it matter for what we're trying to explain? We're just talking social change, period. Not necessarily whether we agree with the social change or we agree with the issue. It's very right. cut and dry as far as steps. Yeah. Whereas I, I agree our with listener- social change when if you protest, you make a statement. But then, okay, what's your strategy and plan of action after? You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when I manage, I tell people it's if you have a problem, if it really is a problem, you'll come to me with some solutions. But if you're just coming to me with a problem, then it's just whining. And this guy has been nothing but just. Presenting the problem, presenting the problem, presenting the problem. And guess what? You have the money, dude, to go wrangle up some of the, you know, NFL guys that, that agree with you, pull in together, create a create an organization, a nonprofit organization, and have a strategy to help fix this problem. Work across the lines with the police and take care of this. You know, it's a small percentage, so it's probably not going to take a whole lot of effort and, and dollars to help 
put training programs together to help this problem. But guess what? It's been how many years? And he hasn't done a single damn thing. We're not critiquing the All right, steps. I'm sorry, man. No, I'm with, I'm with you, too. The funny thing, not to totally get away from what we're talking about, the funny thing is, is the Colin Kaepernick thing just happened to start after he started dating an activist. Yeah. It just happened like he went from just normal, like, football player. And I'm sure he had some cares, but yeah. he grew up with two white parents in a white-ass neighborhood. Like, yeah, he had no real problems. No real problems. And then he starts dating an activist and all of a sudden sees all the problems in the world for what they are. Yeah, and he's talking about these problems, but and he's wearing shirts that represent the problem. Yeah. Um, so then the snowball effect, if you think of a, of a graph, the snowball effect is where the movement goes from the minority pushing the movement to the movement having its own voice. And that's what we've seen in the last two years with that entire movement, whether we agree with it or not. And then the social cryptosomnia, this one is it was interesting when I got into the, to this step. That's realizing there's change as a society, but not necessarily remembering how we got there. Right. And if you think about like uh, any big social rights change that we've seen over the last hundred years, like women voting, right? Like we realized that women used to not be able to vote and now they can vote. Okay. All the steps that get up to that, unless we start looking it up, I can't tell you what the steps were. And so that's social, that's social cryptosomnia. So then from there, I started, I started really brainstorming, like what societal changes, right? Because I think that, that everything we've done up until now is like, we're talking about everyone and all of our listeners really like getting your own house in order, right? That's what being squared yeah. away is, is getting your own house in order. But then where the Prager U video drops out is then after your house is in order, how can you try to motivate and inspire change, societal change for everyone else to get their house in order, right? Yeah. And so I started, I made, I made some, some thoughts of like things that we can do to basically improve society. Like, and I just, and I, and I've got these here and my first five were repairing and maintaining the family unit, whether together or separated parents. Why would you do that? Well, I have a fucking printout here that has 18 different, no, 21 different things that have been studied that are improvements in two parent families versus single parent families. And it's, I mean, it's, it's drastic. I'll, I'll link to it. You know, children living with both biological parents are 20 to 35% more physically healthy than children from broken homes. Just simple like that. 20 to 35% more healthy, you know, and it's, and it's, it's, it's step by step. I mean, not step by step, but point after point after point of things that are improved when both parents are in your life. So I thought about that. And then number two was prioritizing personal responsibility. We'll come back to that one after I go through the other three. Um, Number three, I thought was stomping out materialism because I think by, by stomping out materialism um, there could be a lot of uh, snowball uh, cascading effects by stomping out materialism, right? Because if we are no longer um, purchasing dumb shit for reasons that we don't need, how much do we reduce our carbon footprint and how much do we reduce? And yeah, the, if, if we didn't have a materialist economy, the economy is going to shrink. Yeah. Like that's a fucking scary part. Yeah. You're going to rip the bandaid off. The economy is going to shrink. But what are the benefits that come from that? Um, prioritizing health. 
which I remember learning in school and shortly after school that like European countries and, and what do they call them? Uh, self-fund, no, not self-funded, federally funded countries where everything is federally funded as far as health prioritizes personal health over, you know, dealing with symptoms. But then you look at the countries like Canada and Europe and, and a lot of the countries in Europe. And I don't know that that's the case. Whereas like, that's very an Eastern medicine thing or yeah, yeah Eastern, right? yeah. Eastern, that's very much an Eastern medicine thing. Like treat the root, not the symptom. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. I, I've been talking to my mom this week because obviously she lives in Hong Kong and she said the exact same thing. She's like, you know, I'm almost 80 years old. And did you know, son, that Asians have a lot longer longevity? I'm like, yeah, I don't. People tell me I'm like 200 years old. And she said, well, that's because we don't follow the the Western medicine way of treating symptoms. And this is not how she sounds because she can't yeah, speak yeah, English. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. that's my best impression. Yeah, I, no, I get it. And, and <laughs> I had this conversation. We went out um, to dinner with a couple and she was a she was a not a natural path, but like a holistic health advocate. I can't yeah. say she wasn't a doctor, but she was a holistic health advocate. And I said, don't you think, don't you think that there's a place right for Eastern style medicine and treating the root causes? But then there's also a place for Western medicine. Like if you do get DNA damage that replicates itself to a point that it becomes a cancerous tumor, there's a reason that we cut those out. Right. Right. Like right. there's a place for both like, a well, hybrid well, yeah. approach, a hybrid approach of Eastern and Western would be perfect. No, I mean, it's the yin and the yang. I mean, Western medicine is the the brake fix tool, right? Yep. I mean, your plumbing breaks, you're going to need the plumber. But Eastern medicine is all about preventative and holistic health. And I think holistic, the word itself, gets a bad rap. I think the minute people hear that word, they all of a sudden shut off. All it, all it means is you're just looking at your whole overall health and doing preventative measures so that you don't run into the break fix, you know, you're you're mitigating risk, you're reducing your your chance of getting, you know, larger disease factors. And then my last one was love, acceptance, and education over hate. Because if if you if you love and you accept someone for who they are, but then you are able to talk to them with about their issues and educate them, you're going to get a lot further than hating someone that you don't agree with. So then I started breaking them down, right? I'm like, how could you put these large scale social um, steps to change on it? And I started looking and if we really like, I, and this is like, I don't know, this is framework. Somebody wants this, somebody wants to take and run with this fucking, I'll send it to you. I would love to, I don't know if I have the energy or the time to run with this, but if we focused on prioritizing personal responsibility as the number one, like top point of a fucking triangle, it would take care of a lot of the rest of these problems. <laughs> That's what we've been talking about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It would take care of repairing and maintaining the family unit. Because if you prioritize your personal responsibility, if you become a personal responsibility, responsibly human being, you are going to take care of your family. You are going to step up when you're needed to be there. You're not going to leave your baby's mama just because you you want to go be single. Like prioritizing personal responsibility is going to take care of that. By prioritizing personal responsibility, it's going to completely negate any benefits of materialism because you will no longer have the the you know the the glow from it because all you'll think about is the fucking stupid money that you spent. You're going to prioritize your health because you're personally responsible, and 
the love, acceptance, and education is going to come with time when you open and you become a better person. So I'm like, fuck, like this could be the biggest, this could be the biggest push if if you could if you could get an organized group of people together and and create an organization or create a nonprofit that you could really use these steps to social change as a minority, as an organization to promote yeah. personal responsibility, you could change the fucking world. Yeah. And then my brain got into like, I actually broke down the steps on like how you could go about it and that we don't even need to get into that here. It doesn't make any sense to to talk about that because I mean, it wouldn't, unless somebody wants to do it, then fucking call me, email me, text me. I will fucking put this in place. I'll, I will help you as much as I can. Isn't still the whole squared away uh, mantra? Basically. Yeah. So we're trying to uh, spread the word and create a group of people that are more focused on personal responsibility. Yeah. Getting squared away. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what we're doing here, but it's one tiny, if you look at my steps, you know, like, like podcasting is like one tiny step yeah. what you, with what you would need to do. You would definitely need like, so if you talk about the drawing attention aspect, right? And this was just me brainstorming. But if you had a nonprofit that was basically just like, you know, patriots for personal responsibility, whatever. And I don't even, patriots might even stigmatize it too much. Those squared away 501c3. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, so we had this in place so and low. you were able to raise funds because who is not going to fucking agree with this? Right. Who's not going to agree that everyone should be more personally responsible? We're not pushing. Correct. We're not pushing political movements. We're not pushing. Any, we are literally pushing for you to be more responsible for yourself. Yeah. So you're just creating a group that's going to, you know, promote some national programs. Yes. And events. Yes. That will start bringing awareness and resolution to. And once you have the funding, responsibility. then once you have the funding, you can start mm-hmm. to focus on the steps to actually enacting the large scale change. So if you could get some sort of a celebrity involved and it would have to be someone who's a wholesome, responsible celebrity that you could lean on their values. Right. So I don't even know who that would be, but it would have to be somebody big enough to cause a some a, a uproar or a, or a, a big national awareness campaign, right? Social media, print, billboard, like all of this would be towards the drawing attention. And then once you have the attention, what is, what is the cognitive conflict? Well, a large portion, not so much in the older age groups, there is an issue in the older age groups, but I think the percentage is a lot smaller, but especially in the younger age groups, they think that someone else is responsible for where they're at and where they're going to go. The government is going to take care of them. They're going to pay for their right. school that, you know, uh, Mr. You know, so-and-so on the corner who has the big house is responsible for me being in this shitty place. Yeah. And that's where I break down in here is the difference between responsibility, which is about action and fault is about blame. Right? So like, let's say you are the kid that was born in the trailer park with zero, you know, parent influence other than just making sure you didn't die. Right? right. So there's there is someone to blame for that. Your fucking parents are to blame, but they are not responsible. You are responsible. That's where the fault blame slash responsible action comes. Like if I kicked you into a fucking pit, right? You can blame me. It's my fault. I push you in a fucking big hole. Yeah. Guess what? Blame all day long and you're still going to be stuck in the fucking hole. Right. Whereas if you take responsibility for being in that hole and you take responsibility in how to dig your ass out of that hole, you are going to be a million times further ahead 
than still sitting there pointing blame. Right. And so that's the, that's, that's, I believe is where the cognitive cognitive conflict is, is the difference between responsibility and fault yeah. and focusing on the responsibility. And then the consistency would be like one message that the organization and everyone involved with the organization can push how to improve this, how to, how to grow it. And all that would need to be developed. Um, I don't know where the sacrifice would be. The, the augmentation principle, I don't necessarily know where the, how you could show sacrifice as an organization towards that. Because I don't, I think that with something like that, there isn't necessarily a sacrifice unless talking about it had, you would give, you know, me the chance to lose my job or whatever, which. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of organ nonprofits, um, able to, you know, so many nonprofits, let me put it this way. So many nonprofits will uh, hold an event and basically it's for fundraising for themselves. Right. Um, sometimes the sacrifices being able to put together an event, bringing volunteers in to raise funds hundred percent for something else. You know, that's, you know, that's one portion of sacrifice, you know, or there's a uh, groups like uh, wheelchairs for warriors that basically will raise funds and provide a hundred percent a wheelchair to X amount of vets that, you know, need upgraded wheelchairs. Yeah, So uh, that's the personal sacrifices. You're investing your energy and your time as the organization for something that isn't necessarily going to improve your life. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. There you go. That right there, we just worked that out. And then, um, the snowballing effect, like it, it, really the only thing you can do there is try to facilitate it. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But I, you know, mm-hmm. I had the idea of like creating local chapters of the organization, supporting branding and growth. Um, and then the, you know, the, the, the last step is going to basically, you know, take care of itself. The, the cryptosomnia, like after, if we get back, if we get, if we get back to a point where everyone is, you know, 100, not 100%, nobody's ever 100%, but it, you know, is, is socially and personally responsible, then we are able to, you know, look out for our neighbors and, and the way that, it, the way that it used to be, you know, I mean, yeah, yes, yes. America, not every American, but America supported slavery, right? It did. Yeah. It was, it was, it was socially acceptable then. Does that mean that everything else that we had as an American value is then negated because that was a hundred percent wrong? No, you have to be able to use a scalpel, not a fucking, you know, a bomb, right? Right. You have to be able to use a scalpel. Should women be able to vote? Yes. Should people be able to own slaves? No. Should I take care of myself and the people around me and not expect anyone else to do it? Yes. Those things are not, those things can all be right. Yeah. I mean, every government that's, you know, that exists in this world, I mean, every organization is going to be floating boat holes, you know, and you don't just completely disassemble the boat while you're floating on the ocean. I mean, we have to operate day to day. So, you know, we've talked about this before. I mean, I use the example a lot where every organization, every group, whether it's your church or your 10 person, whatever study or business or whatever it is, is a floating boat with holes. And the only way to fix it is you have one group of people that hops in, plugs in the holes together. And once you plug them, they fix them. And you're always going to have holes. And you all realize that and work together. Or there's the other people that are the quote, I like to say the activists 
that are nothing but treading water in the outside of the boat, always pointing out the holes. Pointing at the holes. And do not doing nothing about it. Well, it comes to a point where you're not going to be able to tread water long enough to, you know, point out everybody else's mistakes. But you can't trash the boat when it's on water. You have to just, yeah, like you said, take a scalpel, not take a bomb and destroy it, and just start fixing these little wrinkles, ironing out the small things. You know, not to say slavery was small, but it was one of the holes in this country. But this country is still the greatest country in the world. If you ask anybody outside of this country or anybody who's traveled outside of this country, I mean, I've seen, you know, I mean, my folks live in China and being there, it, it's, it's tough. When I talk to my mom, it's like, yeah, it's the same thing every day. And when I was over there in the residential areas, it's like, there's a dark cloud hanging over. I mean, when government controls your whole life, everything you say and do, and the amount of food you can have in your refrigerator. I mean, the little simple things, it's crap. It, it's dark. It's unfulfilling. And then you come back over here. It's like, holy crap, I can, you know, hop in my car and go drive and do whatever I want. Or if I want to, you know, go to a, a play golf at a virtual golf place. I mean, my mom can't do that. If I want to no. go to Walmart and buy, you know, six cartons of ice cream and sit in front of the TV and down it down, I can do that. My yeah. mom can't do that. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think we realize what we have here no. unless you step out of it. No, and, and and what we have here isn't necessarily fulfilling either because you got everybody buying six cartons of ice cream and sitting in front of their TV trying to be fulfilled. Yeah. So that's where, like, that's a hole in our boat, right? Yeah. So let's focus on trying to improve and fix that hole versus trying to blow up the whole fucking boat. Yeah. But the beautiful thing about this country is that you can fix those exactly. holes. Exactly. And that's where the different that's where the differentiation is. We have the freedom and the ability. You get you let that freedom go away and you give too much to the government. That freedom goes away to improve those things. Yeah. They start dictating to you. And I don't know that I don't know that everybody understands, but like whether we're talking about the the doctor or whether we're talking about the governor or we're talking about the president or we're talking about, you know, the commander those people are fucking human beings. Those are not like some special space age God. Yeah. I don't, I think people have a real detachment from the fact that everyone that you're listening to is still just a human being. Yeah. And still has some holes in their boat, just like you do. Yeah. Celebrities, you name it. Athletes. Yeah. yeah we we got to stop putting people on a pedestal and thinking that their word is gospel and just start looking Hey, okay, how can I get myself to be a top operator? Yeah. How can I get myself to be the healthiest? How can I get myself mentally strong? And um, yeah, I forgot who, who the hell I was talking to the other day. You know, they're like, I didn't realize they were in their 80s. Because, you know, to me, they just, they come in the gym. Mm-hmm. And this guy, I guess is 86. Was it Bill? Old no, man Bill? Kenny? Oh, Ken? I don't know Kenny, No. So Ken's this guy that he's 86 years old. I didn't know that. I assumed maybe he was like 70 just because I know he's retired. Yeah. And he comes to the gym every day. And I'm like, all right, I've known him for X amount of years. I assume he's 70 something. But when he told me his age, I'm like, are you kidding me? And this is a guy that when it's nice out, he goes biking every day. Oh, he bikes um, to the gym. I know who he is. Yeah, he, I saw him bike to the gym. He bikes miles and miles yep. and miles. Um, and he comes in, he does, you know, the balance ball and yep. everything. And he, and he stays active and moving because he understands 
not just physically, but also mentally, how beneficial it is for him. And he's sharp as a tack. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, holy crap. I mean, that's, and I, I see some other 60-year-olds, 50-year-olds, damn it, that are just look like they've aged 20, 30 years sitting around doing nothing yeah. with their life. I mean, it's it's mental, physical atrophy. I mean, that's something that you have to follow up and stay on forever. So... I don't even know what my point was there, but did we just create a cult? I think I just created a cult. A cult? Yeah, I think I just created a cult. I think so. I mean, or, or you created the next idea. Maybe there is a squared away five hundred one c three, but in in my experience working with five hundred one c threes, is you need a damn good fundraiser, which is why realtors, you know, were the last five hundred one c three I was with. You had a group of realtors, and somehow these guys know how to get out there and raise funds put together auctions and you know, do it on a regular basis. I yeah. don't know what drives them. And you need a, a solid marketer. Yeah. That just, yeah, marks the crap out of stuff. Yep. And you need fundraisers and marketers that are going to do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> so they have to believe in the cause as much as you believe in the cause. Yeah. But then once you get to a point where you're big enough, yeah, you're going to yeah. have infrastructure and then you're going to have full-time people. Yeah, so. 100%. All right. Well, squared away cult. Here it comes. I <laughs> <laughs> hope you guys have an awesome week. Take care of yourself. Focus on being personally responsible. What's something, what is something that you have blamed someone else for your entire life that you could now from today on take personal responsibility for? Yeah, I'm sure we all have it, right? We all have something like that 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 is in there that we have put blame on, even if it's not a big thing. Something we put blame for that we can we can alter and take the responsibility for. Sound good? Awesome. That's a wrap. 